We live in what's known as the digital age. And as the digital age started in the early 2000s, along with that came a whole new set of language. Some words that perhaps hadn't been used prior to the digital age. It's only in the last few years that we've heard phrases like factory reset. Or what about this one? Password reset. Perhaps you've had to do that just this week. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're looking at that phrase reset. What does it mean in this season to reset some things? Is God asking us to go on a journey of resetting? You know, resetting things isn't necessarily bad. Last year, at the beginning of the very first lockdown, my computer was being asked to do lots of tasks to enable our online church services. And my computer said no. It slowed down, it wouldn't do it. So I had two options. One was to try and purchase a new computer, or the second was to do a full reset on the computer. So I tried it, I did it. I cleaned all of the hard drive, took all of the files off it, I reinstalled the operating system, I brought it right back to as it was when I first purchased the laptop. And it's worked ever since without a problem. That's what it needed. It needed a deep clean and it needed a reset. And we believe across the live that we're in a moment of time where God is whispering to each of us, are there things that you and I need to reset? Perhaps you've been hearing that whisper of the Holy Spirit even over these past few months. Maybe there's been some resets in the use of your time. Maybe some of your priorities have reset. Maybe some of the rhythms of your life have reset. And maybe as Paul introduced last week, there's a challenge over each of us to reset some of our relationships. Well, today I want to use that phrase and speak about something that I believe God's speaking to me, but I believe he's also speaking to us here at Alive Church about. One dynamic of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, that we have an opportunity right now to reset our focus and our priority on. Let's go to the very first account we have of Jesus calling his disciples to him. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Just hold that story in your mind for a moment. Now let's go a little bit further in the Gospel of Matthew to Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, which we know as the Great Commissioning. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about one distinct component part of discipleship. You see, being a disciple of Christ can be likened to being an apprentice of Jesus. We learn from the master and while we're learning from him, 
we begin to apprentice or disciple others in the way of Jesus too. I believe that Jesus is continuing to say to his disciples, come, follow me, trust me, put your faith in me, worship me, walk with me, learn from my word, talk with me, live with me, listen to my voice. But today I want to focus on another word because alongside, I believe Jesus saying, come to me, I also believe that Jesus is saying in this moment of time, go, go and make disciples. I am with you to the very end of the age. Have courage, don't fear, be sent, go into all the earth. But as I receive the word go, and this is my reset moment, I also bring a problem to that. You see, I know that at the core of who I am, I'm perhaps not the most gifted evangelist. And I wonder in 21st century Christianity in the Western world, whether I've defaulted to asking and allowing the evangelists to do the evangelizing. And I've settled back into other aspects of ministry. You see, I wonder whether the problem that I receive when Jesus says go is, am I ready in and out of season to go? Or have I lost my courage and my boldness? And what I believe God is saying to the church, particularly to a live church in this season, is have courage, be bold, because now is a time to reset and now is a time for us to go. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 is a great encouragement to me who doesn't perhaps call himself a natural evangelist. says this, but you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Today, I'd like to look at a couple of environments that you and I are called into to do the work of an evangelist. In fact, we may be the only people in those environments that is positioned there to do the work of the evangelist. I'm calling as a live church at this moment of time to see this as an opportunity to reset once again with the priority of evangelism, the priority of doing the work of an evangelist. Here's the first of those environments. I'm calling this environment one, living as an everyday disciple at work. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for human masters. I believe there's a reset moment for all of us who are in the place of work, and that is to consider our work environment as our mission field, as disciples of Christ, to walk into our offices, our factories, into the hospitals and schools that we're employed in, and see it as our mission field, to see our work as a calling, to see wherever we place our feet, as the opportunity for us to do the work of an evangelist. That particular Bible passage from Colossians 3 has been expanded by John Stott in his book, Life in Christ. And he says this about Colossians 3. There is a principle here which is equally applicable to modern situations of employment. So we could ask, what is that principle? And this is the principle, that each of us must discern Christ behind the other. He goes on to say, it is possible 
to serve a customer as if Jesus Christ had come shopping that day and to nurse a patient as if Jesus Christ were in the hospital bed. You see, if we know that we're called by God and we know the love that God has for all, we will be compelled by that love to serve one another. When I was teaching, I was once in the staff room and one of my colleagues began to open up about the loss of their daughter. At that moment of time, I had a choice. I had a choice just to uh, enter into the conversation or I had a choice to offer prayer. And I was bold in that moment of time and I offered to pray for the lady. And she accepted my prayer. So there in the staff room, I prayed for her. And that was just one opportunity of an open door in that moment of time where I could show the love of Christ to her. I'm sure you can think of environments in your workplace where being bold and being courageous and doing the work of an evangelist would be fruitful on the day to day. So how can we reset our attitude to work as disciples of Christ? Well, maybe there's a few first steps that you could take even this week. Maybe you could decide to start to pray for your colleagues. Maybe you could pray for opportunities to share your testimony. Maybe you could equip yourself with the gospel, knowing that with boldness, you are equipped wherever God's placed you. So one reset for me would be to reset living as an everyday disciple in our work. But the second one applies to every one of us, no matter our age and no matter our employment status. Environment two, living as an everyday disciple in our neighbourhood. Just a quick caveat here. When I say the word neighbourhood, for many of you, that will be your geographical street, uh, block of flats, Uh, house share that you live in, those that you are living alongside. But for some of you, you know you are called to a people group, a demographic. So when you hear the word neighbourhood, filter that through the place that you are called to. How well do you know your neighbours? How well do you know their life? Do you know their first and last names? Do you know the names of their children? Do you know what they do for a living? Do you know what their favourite food is? In the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying recently, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5 that you and I are the salt of the earth and you and I are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You and I are comparable to salt and light. And both descriptions are grey and apt for how we are to engage with our neighbourhood. Think about salt for a minute. You see, salt is a preservative. We're placed in neighbourhoods to help preserve our neighbourhood. But salt also brings out flavour. Think about flavour as quality of life. How do you and I contribute to our neighbourhood to increase and improve the quality of life in that space? What do we do to enhance the quality of life? But salt has to be integrated into food. Salt in a salt shaker sitting next to a steak will never make any difference to the steak. It has to be rubbed in to the meat and become embedded in it. Are you embedded in your neighbourhood? Are you bringing preservation, longer life to that space? And are you bringing flavour to your local neighbourhood. I know that's a reset moment for me 
something that I feel challenged by as well. But what about light? So light is something that can have a dramatic effect on everything it touches. Light, of course, makes it possible to see. Light banishes darkness. Wherever we go, we are the light of the world. We bring light to dark spaces. Just think for a moment. If you walk into a house or a room and it is dark, what's the first thing you do? You switch the light on. Are we switching the light on in our local neighbourhoods? Are we switching the light on in that people demographic that we're called to? Are we those that bring light into all situations? Think about your neighbourhood just for a moment and think about what it would be for you to be salt and light in that neighbourhood. If being a disciple means being called by Christ to call others to Christ, how are we going to do that in our neighbourhoods? Well, maybe there's a few first steps there as well. Maybe this week and over the next month, we could purposefully decide to get to know our neighbours and those on our street. We could find out where we can play our part in our neighbourhood. What gifts do we have that we can bring to those around us? How can we play our part as salt and light in that environment? Think about what skills you have in your hand and how they can be used to bless your neighbours. So two environments, the first our work and the second our neighbourhood. But what about a mechanism as well? You see, when I read about Jesus, he spent a lot of his time in environments where this mechanism was being used. Mechanism one, how do we live as everyday disciples through hospitality? Hospitality plays a large part in the Gospels. Jesus is often invited into people's homes so that they can learn more about him. Let's think just for a moment about that famous passage in Luke 14, where a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home, not only that he can socialise with him, but so that he can ask detailed and deep questions of Jesus. And Jesus turns that moment of time into an opportunity to teach his disciples and what it is when we are hospitable to one another. Luke 14 verse 12 to 14 gives us some brilliant instructions. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What Jesus is saying here is that hospitality is an opportunity for us once again to serve others. It's not about getting repaid, but it's about serving someone who otherwise might not experience a feast or friendship. Let's just think about that for a moment in the context of your life. Do you have a dining table that once a week you could open up to others to come and share a meal with you? Do you have a home that you could open your front door to and invite those in your neighbourhood to share and spend life with you? Here's a great story that I read as I was thinking about this moment of time. Rosaria Butterfield was a professor at a university in America. She was an unbeliever. 
and she wrote an editorial criticising Christians. Then one day she received a letter from a local pastor inviting her to dinner. Those meals became ongoing and regular and they changed her. But not only did that, they saved her. And now she's a practising Christian. She says this, The way that they were practising hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. They didn't see me as a project. They saw me as a neighbour. Hospitality takes strangers and makes them neighbours and takes neighbours and makes them the family of God. I passionately believe that one of the traits of our community model across a live church is that we will love those outside of our community in order to welcome them in. Our communities have never been designed to be insular. They've never been designed to be solely for our benefit and gain. They've been designed as places that will grow. They've been designed as places and environments that will flourish. And I believe one mechanism to see that take place can be the mechanism of hospitality. One of my lasting memories of being a student here in Lincoln was the meals that I received by a generous church. It in fact became one of the reasons we stayed, not solely for the meal, but actually because we genuinely felt welcomed as we were invited around people's tables at a Sunday lunchtime. Maybe God's encouraging you through this word. Maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering, now's a great time again to reset, to open your front door, open up your dining table and invite people into your home to share and do life together. So how are we going to instigate some of these things? If God is asking us to reset, and he's asking us to reset in the environment of going, what can that look like for you and for I? Well, I honestly believe that we all have to take a first step. We can't do everything in the next seven days, but we can do something. So let's pray and seek God. Let's seek his face and ask him, what are you saying to me, God? Is there an environment of my work that I need to change my attitude in? What about my neighbourhood? Are you calling me to be salt and light to those around me? What about the use of my home? Are you calling me to open up my door and use what you've given me, the gift of this home, as a place of hospitality? Where do you already have meaningful relationships? Where can you invest and can they flourish? Where are you already welcomed? And what does it look like for you and I to be salt and light wherever God has placed us? And have courage. Do the work of an evangelist. Let's preach the gospel because he is with us to the very end of the age. God bless you. Have a brilliant week.